Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. We were told uh, back in Ezra chapter 5 that the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah spurred the people to action to to rebuild the temple. So the temple has been destroyed and the people were in exile for a long time. They've come back. Um, about 50,000 of them came back to rebuild it. And uh, we're, we're to that point in Ezra and Haggai to where uh, we were we were talking about that. So last week we finished up looking at Haggai, all two chapters of that book, and uh, he had four oracles from the Lord in a matter of four months. Four months he had them. The last two of the oracles were on the same day. So in the sixth month of the second year of King Darius, the king of Persia at the time, uh, was the first oracle, then the seventh month. Uh, he had the second one, the eighth month. He kind of skips, at least Haggai does. Um, and then in the ninth month, you've got those two. But in the eighth month there, another prophet comes up, as, as Ezra 5 had said. Zechariah shows up, and uh, he, he starts to speak up about the building of the temple. Uh, before we look at what Zechariah has to say, though, I, I just want to kind of just make clear some of the things that, that made the temple in the Old Testament so important, partially because it kind of still deals with us, even though it's not a, 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 a temple of, of wood and stone. Um, it's a little bit different. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but I would just want to give you the importance of the temple in the Old Testament. All the way back to Moses, uh, when it was called the tabernacle and made out of animal skins, it housed the Ark of the Covenant, which was the physical symbol of the presence of God. So when you saw the temple, you saw the tabernacle, and then when it became a temple, when Solomon built it, that was you know, a physical you know, understanding that God is present in that nation. Uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am, he was there. Uh, and to an extent, the condition of the tabernacle and the temple represented the condition of the relationship between Israel and God. So God was their people, or God was their God, Israel was God's people, and the condition of that temple, the physical of the of the, the physical condition of that temple more often represented the condition of that relationship between Israel and God. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not God's side. God isn't the one that was dilapidated and, and letting go of those folks. Those people were letting go of God and, and kind of messing up their own relationship. So having no temple pretty much signified no relationship between Israel and God. Now, don't get me wrong, again, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel, they were prophesying during the time uh, of the exile, um, but but specifically in the relationship aspect between God and Israel, there wasn't a lot there because there was no temple because they, they weren't sure where exactly the presence worked uh, when, it, when it came to God. Uh, so the idea of the nation's relationship with God was almost non-existent. And then when the exile was done, God gathers the group together again, to build that temple. So when they don't want to build that temple, it's showing a lack of zeal on the people's part to repair the relationship 
with God. So what did God do? He made a pretty severe blow to all their selfish toil and labor. Haggai sends the first two words of correction, and in the middle of his four oracles comes Zechariah. Zechariah comes out with another one. He's kind of calling them to the carpet uh, when it comes to rebuilding this temple and kind of getting them uh, into what they needed to do. Now last week we talked about the returning exiles, how they kind of sputtered at the beginning of the rebuild. So with Zechariah speaking in the middle of this, there may have been another kind of sputter that may have had to do with inaction for some kind of reason on the part of the people of Israel. So if you have your Bibles, again, I'll give you a a second here. We're looking in Zechariah first today, Zechariah chapter one. Uh, You can look in your table of contents if you need to, or on your little phone there, find out where Zechariah is. It is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. So you had Zechariah, and then you have the first Italian prophet, Malachi, right at the, I'm kidding. His name is actually Malachi. I'm okay. If you didn't catch that, that's okay. Hopefully you woke up for hearing that. But um, it's Zechariah, the Malachi, and then you get into the New Testament. So Zechariah, right before, right towards the end of the, the Old Testament here. But let's look at what he has to say. Zechariah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed, Uh, or purposed, sorry about that, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us uh, for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. In a nutshell here, what Zechariah is saying is God is reminding the people how their fathers didn't listen to God and did evil deeds instead of the righteous deeds the prophets of God told them to do. I want you to follow me in this way. I want you to do the sacrifices the way you're supposed to do them. I want you to treat each other with kindness, with respect. I want you to worship me in this way. All these different things that God had had given to the people and told the people to do and then sent his prophets to tell them to do, to bring correction, they didn't do. Now listen, the current group that's you know, the group that Zechariah is speaking to here has already received two oracles from Haggai the prophet, uh, let alone the decree given by Cyrus, uh, the king before Darius here. Uh, they got this decree from Cyrus, which, as we discussed a few weeks ago at the time, uh, may have been written by Daniel, who was a prophet. So these folks also got word from the prophets from God about what they were supposed to do. And this group was given one righteous deed to do, and it was a major one, and that was to rebuild the temple. I want you to go back, and I want you to rebuild that temple. I want you to lay its foundations, and I want you to build it the way it's supposed to be. There is a measure of conjecture as to what is going on here. However, verse 6 tells us that they repented, which makes me think that they stopped building again, hence the reason God gives this oracle through Zechariah. For some reason, they stopped. They, they kind of started going, uh, but like we talked about last week, they kind of sputtered again, and, and they just stopped doing it. So God reminded them, listen. When the people didn't do what I told them to do and instead did what their own selfish ways wanted to do, it ended up going bad for them. And, you know, as he says at the end there, where are your fathers now? 
Where are the prophets now? Listen, my words will remain. My, my, my instructions remain. They don't go away. Just because people pass away, just because people die, even though the prophets died, those words are, are still there. They're still hanging out there. They're still, they're still alive and well. So if you guys are going to stop doing this, guess what? It's, it's going to be just like it was with your fathers. They're going to hear the words of the prophets. They're going to ignore it. And then where are they going to end up? Well, not in the place that they're going to want to be. But notice here the emphasis on action. On action. Listen, friends, our relationship with God is not over after confession and repentance. There is work to do. God has called us to do stuff. It's not just confess, repent, okay, now just do whatever you want. Now it's confess, repent, now, Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What have you called me to do? Jesus speaks of this rather dramatically in Matthew chapter 5, 25, with the story of the sheep and the goats. Humans are divided into these two groups. Goats end up in hell. Sheep end up in heaven. What's the dividing line? The sheep clothed the naked, fed the poor, gave drink to the thirsty, visited the sick, visited the imprisoned, and welcomed the strangers. What did the goats do? None of that. (laughs) They didn't do that. They ignored God and his calling on their lives. They didn't follow him. They weren't obedient to him. Then there's the ever popular James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you, want, uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. There is action that we've been called to. We have faith that Jesus died on the cross. We confess that Jesus died on the cross. We confess that, that, you know, we're sinners and that we need that bloodshed. You know, we just took communion today, which is, you know, a remembrance of that and honoring of that and and realizing that and coming to that uh, understanding. But if it stops, there and it doesn't move on to more action, obedient action to God. Well, great. I'm really glad you did that. But there's so much more to this relationship. These actions, though, are typically based on what we believe and allowing the Spirit to work through us, as mentioned in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Listen, friends, once we receive the offer of salvation, we are given a measure of the Spirit who will drive us to produce faith and act in righteous ways. Our actions and behaviors, friends, will reflect what we believe. 
Our actions and our behaviors reflect what we believe. If we believe Jesus Christ is Lord of all, we believe that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We believe that he is our Savior. He is our Messiah. We believe those types of things. Guess what? We're going to act in that way. We're going to live in that way. We're going to follow what the Word of God says because the Holy Spirit will lead us to that. Listen, if this isn't the case for you, friends, follow what the Lord said to those returning exiles that we just read of in Zechariah 1.3. Return to me, and I will return to you. This is reiterated in James 4.8. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. God is always there. You know, if you screw up, you messed up, you're like, man, I haven't been doing the things that God has called me to. He's not going to necessarily strike you dead right then and there. I say not necessarily because I have no clue. I'm not the ultimate judge of your life. But most of the time, he doesn't do that. He gives you time to repent again and to say, you know what, Lord, I've been disobedient. I need to follow you. The Lord is faithful, and he that began a good work in you is able to bring it to completion, according to Philippians 1.6. Now, we see that. For these exiles, looking back in Ezra chapter 5. We're going to read this real quick here. I say real quick. There's quite a bit to read here, but I'll try to get through it fast. But the Lord is faithful to bring it to completion. And the Bible is full of stories of the Lord bringing to completion everything he's called to happen. Everything that he wants to happen. Ezra chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can look back there with me again. This is going to be, again, uh, quite a few verses. Um, hope you don't mind. It is the word of the Lord, so we, we, we should be reading it anyways. But... Um, just to give you kind of a gist of what's going on here, again, we've got the locals with the exiles, and the locals aren't too happy about the rebuilding of this temple. They're kind of fed up with it, and they're, they're kind of like, hey, why can't we be a part of it? We do this, that, and now you're not letting us do this. And they're getting kind of noisy. And so the other uh, people in authority in the region are starting to get word of it. And so they're coming back, not necessarily to tell the Israelites, you can't do this, just telling them, just asking, why is this happening? So as we read this, this is mainly what we need to see. This is what we mainly need to understand, is that they're not necessarily coming back to say, we can't stand you that you're doing this, but more like, what exactly is going on here? Because we don't understand it, and these other people are getting kind of on our nerves with, with what they're talking about. So look at Ezra chapter 5, starting at verse 3. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozani, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. This is to the exiles. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sheshbar Bozani and his associates, the, uh, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. So really quick there, the, the area beyond the river, it's the Euphrates River. You know, Persia broke up their kingdom into various, you know, um, I lost the word here, uh, provinces. They, they broke them up into these various provinces. So at, at each province, you have different levels of authority. It would be similar to us. You've got the federal government, state, and then you drop down to county, 
city and and your own house i mean it's 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 kind of that's how it kind of works so so it was you know the big thing and then it, it just continues to break down and this is this is where it is so it would be like the federal government coming to minnesota and then minnesota you know coming down to st james you know what's going on here what's happening where are you building this building here and then the governor is talking about of trying to figure out what's going on and then he's going to get word from the president of the united states to see what's happening just to give you kind of a modern look at what's going on so verse seven they this tat and i and this other guy uh sent uh the the report to to darius in which was written as follows to darius the king all peace be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? We also asked them their names for your, uh, for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Verse 12, But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. Verse 14, and the gold and silver vessels of the house of, the, of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took of the temple of Babylon, and they uh, were delivered to one who, whose name was Sheshbazar, uh, whom, he made, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and from that time until now it has been in, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. I'll let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So short and short, this is why we're building it, because God was unhappy with us, and so we originally destroyed the temple, and so now we're rebuilding it. Mainly because Cyrus, Cyrus the king, the king before you, told us to do this. So Tatani is really asking, do you guys have record of this anywhere up there? Can you guys, you know, log on to your computers and find out if there's anything in any kind of... Fo- Just kidding. Of course it's not in a computer. They're not invented yet. But can you find something in Babylon there that would say this? Chapter 6, verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekbatana... The citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which was written, a record. We'll pause there for a second. So they don't find it in Babylonia. Ekbatana is another town. So Darius was taking this very seriously. I mean, I mean this is unheard of, right? The government's taking seriously what's, what's going on. Um, so they're like, well, we can't find it here in Babylon. We're going to try this other town. They're, they could have checked Susa too, which was becoming a, a, a rather large, wealthy city. But they find it somewhere else. So Darius is taking this quite seriously. He's not just like, ah, whatever, you guys are a bunch of whiny babies. Just live with it. He, he looks for this stuff to make it happen. Verse 3. 
In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits uh, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place, you shall put them in the house of God. So that's the decree. So he did. He told him to do this. Cyrus, do this. And then did you catch what that said? And we talked about it back uh, when we, we talked about it with Cyrus. What did Cyrus say? Hey, everybody give some money to these folks as they head back to build the temple. And right there in the decree, it says, from the royal treasury. So not only do they want these people to build this temple, but they're like, hey, we're going to give you some money to do it. Once again, absolutely unheard of. The government giving money to a church to build a church. <laughs> that, that just doesn't happen. Here's, here's money. Please go do this. Build your temple. Make it happen. There's a lot of things in the belief of this. They wanted, to, you know, when you believe in multiple gods and, and you want to make sure everybody's happy and, and all that good stuff, they will send money to, to please that God and say, oh, this God's happy with me, so when I die, I am covered. All my bases are covered because I've done everything I could for all these gods. That's, that's kind of a rabbit trail, so we won't go down too far, but that's part of the reason why Cyrus actually originally does this. But then how is Darius going to respond? So Darius sees this decree and says, okay, so this is the decree. So how are we going to respond? Because what did Tat and I say? Whatever your pleasure is, Darius, we will follow whatever you say. Verse 6, now therefore Tat and I, governor of the province beyond the river, Sheshbar and I, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. So first, build it. Let it happen. Step back. Don't worry about it. It needs to happen. But check this. Verse 8. This is where it gets kind of funny. Moreover, I make a decree regarding that you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. Again, the government is going to pay for this, but Darius is like, I'm not going to be like Cyrus. I'm not bringing it for my treasury. Hey, you guys, the money that you have in the Beyond the River province, yeah, it's going to come from your treasury. <laughs> now, now that sounds more like our federal government, doesn't it? Hey, yes, you can build that if you'd like to, but the state's going to pay for it. The federal government's not going to pay for it. We need all of our money to make sure everybody's happy up here. Anyway, so that's what happens. He comes out and tells them, hey, you're going to build this, and then moreover, you guys are going to pay for it, everything that they need to be paid for for needs to be it needs to happen verse 9 and whatever is needed bulls rams or sheep for burnt offerings to the god of heaven wheat salt wine or oil as the priests at jerusalem require let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the god of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons again right there at the tail end there make sure you give them everything they need including everything for their sacrifices why because we want them to pray for us too, so that their God will be happy with us. That, of course, is null and void. That doesn't really work. That's not how God works. But that's the reason why Darius does it. However, the thing to see here is what? God is working to completion the temple that he has set out. God is faithful to bring it to completion. Verse 11 
Here's where it gets really crazy concerning the completion of it. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. So not only are you going to pay for it, not only is this going to be done, but if you decide to come against the people of Israel and not allow them to build it, we're going to take out the main beam of your house, we're going to put it in the ground, and then we're going to throw you on top of it, and you're going to die a very painful, horrible death. Okay. (laughs) Again, the Lord is faithful to bring things to completion, almost at any cost, it seems. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, Darius is, is kind of, you know, using his power the way he wants to. But, but you're seeing, you're seeing that, that providence. You're seeing that action of God saying, listen, I told them I wanted the temple built. I told them it needs to be completed. I am going to be faithful to bring it to completion. And so they bring it to completion. Verse 13, real quick here. We'll finish this up. Then according to the word sent by Darius the, uh, the king, Tatnai the governor of the province beyond the river, Sheshbar Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. We're not too sure why Artaxerxes is there. He's not around for another 30 years uh, but his name is included here by Ezra. There's, uh, we won't go down that rabbit trail. Verse 15 and this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Verse 16 and the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites And the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Verse 19, on the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles, exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that they aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So they finish the temple. They celebrate hugely. They have a great big old barbecue like they normally did. And then it was just in time for the Passover. They follow Passover. And then right after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They celebrate that. All of this just in joyous celebration for the Lord, bringing them the strength, giving them the items that they needed to be able to dedicate the temple and to be able to to live the way they, they want to do this. The Lord was faithful. The people were faithful. And the temple was rebuilt. Then the priests and the Levites, they cleansed themselves as given in the law. And they celebrated Passover and that Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we said. The Lord was faithful and the people were faithful. Listen, friends, the temple still exists. The temple still exists, but it's not in cedar and stone, but in flesh and blood. 
Jesus indicated this in John chapter 2 when the Pharisees asked him for a sign for the authority that he had that allowed him to cleanse the temple. Remember when he comes in, there's the first cleansing in John chapter 2 uh, that people kind of miss out on. But he first goes in uh, early in his ministry and, and cleanses out the temple. And they're like, what authority do you have to do this? And what does Jesus say to them? Tear this temple down and in three days I'll rebuild it. And the Pharisees were like, that's ridiculous. It took us 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to do that? John was kind enough to, to kind of write in parentheses. By the way, he wasn't talking about the actual temple. He was talking about his body. So Jesus gives that indication right there that the temple was no longer needed, that this physical stone and wood temple was going was gonna to need to be built. It was, it was now the body. At that point, but definitively at the time of his death, when the veil in front of the Holy Holies was torn in two, the cedar and stone temple was no longer needed. And then as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 6.19, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, friends, I know the Lord is faithful to bring it to completion. He is faithful to bring it to completion. We have pages and words and pages upon words and pages and pages and words upon words that God is faithful to bring it to completion. The question then becomes what? Are we? Are we faithful to bring it to completion? Are we willing to let go of the ways of the world and be obedient to God all the way to the end, until the time is complete. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Lord is faithful to bring it to the end. Are we? Are we willing to crucify the selfish desires that are in our lives and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let go of this situation. I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to let go of that. And I am going to fill myself with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, mercy, self-control, all these different things, Lord. I'm going to be led by your spirit, not by my own thinking, not by my own desires. If not, friends, what did God say to Zechariah, to the people? Remember your fathers? Remember when they didn't want to follow me? Where did they end up? And that's what Paul is saying here. I've told you before that if you practice these things of the world, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you will follow God and fill yourself with the fruits of, these, of the Spirit and allow those to grow in your life, well, there it is. 
You keep step in step with the Spirit, and your reward will be granted. The Lord will bring it to completion. You'll be right there with him, and you will see it completed. And then you will celebrate, just like those Israelites celebrated. In fact, it's going to be even better. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be powerful. Of course, that's on the other side of eternity. That's after we're done here on earth. But that is what God has given us. That is what Christ has given us. That is what the Holy Spirit is leading us to, are those things. And so today, that challenge is, like we said, are we faithful to complete it? Are we faithful to stay with God, to stay in step with the Spirit, to deny the desires of the flesh, to go against those things that Paul listed? I mean, there, there were more things listed of the things of the world than there were of the fruits of the Spirit. It's kind of nice. It's easier to remember the fruits of the Spirit because it's too easy to practice all the stupid stuff of the world. <laughs> We want those to grow in our lives. We want to concentrate on that, to be step in step with the Spirit. Just as those Israelites went and they rebuilt that temple and obeyed God and followed God and saw the completion of that temple and celebrated, so it is with our lives, with this temple, with this flesh and blood temple. Stand with me today as we close up this service. What are some of the things that you need to let go of? What are some of the things that you need to crucify today and say, you know what, I'm done with that stuff? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. <laughs> There's so many of them, he can't list them all. But you know what they are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've ever followed him, you know those things. Everybody knows what those things are. Sins are common to people. They understand that. But now the fruits of the Spirit, we may not understand those as well. We want to get rid of those things and replace them with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, gentleness. Let's go after the Lord today, pinning those things that we need to get rid of to the cross and grabbing onto those fruits.